Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word your comments that Sunday. Um, I miss Pastor when he's gone. I'm thankful that things can go forward while he's gone, and it's a testimony to his leadership that the church can go forward while he's gone, but we miss him. It's just not the same when he's not here. (laughs) Trust me, it's not the same, and I look forward to him being back Sunday morning, and so let's make sure we pray for him this week, and God give him strength and energy and all that he needs to accomplish all that he needs to uh, till he gets back here Sunday morning. <clears throat> Let's pray and ask God for his help. Father, we come now to the time of the service that we need to hear from heaven, and we want to celebrate you and praise you and thank you for your awesome goodness and gracious kindness and compassions toward us, and we love you for that, but Lord, We need to be helped from your word now, and so as we look into your word, I pray that you would, um, you'd humble our hearts, help us to be uh, soft clay in the potter's hand, help us to yield to what your word has to say to us tonight, that we might be helped and changed and leave here a little bit different, a little bit better, and walk a little bit closer to you because we came, and that's what we need. So Holy Spirit, would you arrest our attention, and would you... Uh, soften up the soil, that the Word of God would fall deep, take root, and we would be helped tonight. I pray that if there's one that's not saved tonight or not sure that they would get that settled, they would get that assurance and know for sure that they're on your way to heaven. You paid such a price for us. Lord, we love you for that, but uh, they need to accept your salvation, and so help them. And Lord, help those that are watching by live stream that they too would tune in, and their hearts would also tune in to your Word and Holy Spirit, we trust you to use the Word of God to melt the hearts. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You take your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13. Exodus 13 is a story of one of the most amazing and incredible miracles that I know about, and uh, there are many of them in the Scripture, and this is one of them. And the story happens between 12 and 6 a.m., so it's nighttime, it's dark, there's no street lights, electricity, and that sort of thing. It is dark. And so in the middle of the night, and the pastor's been leading us through the, the Exodus and through the stories of Moses and the children of Israel in the land of Egypt, And you remember the ten plagues, and the tenth one was where God said, I will pass over, and the firstborn in every house will be slain. If I, when I see the blood, I will pass over. 
And so God gave, I think I'm too loud, but you can deal with it however you need to. <laughs> um, so God said, put the blood on the doorpost, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the lamb's blood and slap it on the door, on the top, on the sides of the doorpost. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and there will not be a firstborn slain in that house. And the scripture is pretty clear that throughout Egypt, there was not one house where there was not a firstborn slain from Pharaoh to the, to the lowest slave. And so in that tenth plague is also established Passover, where the Lord passed over, and so they have that holiday, if you will, the Passover. And the Passover lamb was slain, and God told them how to do it, where to do it, when to do it, and what to do with it, and then what to do with the rest of it, if they didn't need it all. God gave them detailed commands for that Passover lamb to be taken care of that night. And I'm thankful that that Passover lamb is such a wonderful picture of the Lamb of God that was slain for us that we've already sung about tonight. And I'm thankful that that lamb is such a perfect picture of the coming lamb that would come when Jesus was born in Bethlehem and he grew up and he died on the cross for us, shed his blood. That lamb took away our sins forever. This lamb only covered, and the thousands that came after that, this lamb, and just simply covered for a year, covered temporarily. But when Jesus came, he was that final lamb that would take away the sins of the world forever and ever. Boy, I'm so thankful for that. And that's what we celebrate this week, that Jesus came, he was willing, he was obedient to his Father, he loved us so much, and in compassion and faithfulness to his Father, he gave his life. He gave his back to the smiters, he gave his face to those that plucked off the hair, and uh, he was willing to die for us. And he carried his cross up to that hill and, and willingly laid down his life for us, the Lamb of God. I love, <laughs> I, I hope you read through Revelation at least once in a while, and over and over and over through Revelation, he's the Lamb of God, the Lamb slain. He's the Lamb of God over and over. And he is the King of kings, but he is the Lamb of God that is our Savior. And we ought to love him and celebrate him all that we can. He is worthy of our praise, and forever and ever we will be in his presence and praising the Lamb of God and thanking him for all that he did for us. Uh, the Passover lamb was slain, and in that story, Israel spoiled the Egyptians. Israel borrowed of them jewels and, and just stuff to take with them. And in that hurried uh, leaving, hurried exodus, they were borrowing stuff, but the Egyptians just said, take it all and get out of here, leave us alone. You can buy, you can have, take the whole thing and just go. And they did, and they left in a hurry. They spoiled the Egyptians, so off they go. And led by Moses, led by the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, and off they go out of Egypt through the wilderness. We pick up the story now in, in uh, verse 17 of Exodus 13. Verse 17. My ham sandwich is coming back to haunt me. <clears throat> verse 17, Exodus 13. It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. God was wise in this and led them. If you get this picture, Egypt is over here, over here the triangle. Israel is way over here. And God led them not straight across the wilderness through the Philistines' land, although that was near, 
For God said, peradventure they see war and repent. But God led them down the long route through the wilderness, down through Sinai, back up into the land of Israel. took a long time, but God had a plan. So he led them not the easy way. He took them the long way around. Verse 18, But God led them about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So God is leading them out of Egypt and on to the promised land. Now, verse, chapter 14, verse 1. God led them into trouble, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea. And watch the wording in these, in these verses. Between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon, before it ye shall encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel... They are entangled in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. I hope you got the picture now. God is leading them into trouble. He is leading them on purpose into an impossible circumstance. And that's what's happening. Verse 5, notice... Uh, Pharaoh changed his mind. He agreed to let them go, but now he changes his mind, verse 5, and was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And, the, and he made ready his chariot and took his people with him, and he took 600, man, that's a lot, 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and the captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand, but the Egyptians pursued after them and all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pihahiroth before Baal-Zephon. One more time, God is leading them into trouble. So this is a story with lessons on how to handle troubles, impossible circumstances. Lessons on how to handle an impossible situation. And that's what we have here. God is leading them on purpose into an impossible situation that they have no way to get out of except for God. He is going to be their only hope, their only answer, their only help in this at all. And I think that you and I can identify with some of these kind of impossible circumstances. Every one of us has been in, at least once in some kind of impossible circumstance. How many of you have ever gone to God and said, God, I don't know what to do? Anybody like that besides me? How many of you have gone to God at least one more time and said, God, I don't know what to do again and again and again and again? And we get into these kind of impossible circumstances over and over, and God, I don't know what to do. There seems to be no help, no hope. There's no answers. It just, it's just bad. And so that's what we have here. We know from the Scripture that the, the stories of the Old Testament and the stories of the New Testament are examples for us that we might learn lessons from them. 
We're to learn how they did it, how they, how they did it right, how they did it wrong. We're to learn from that and, so, and emulate uh, the right and not copy the wrong. The stories are for our learning. Impossible circumstances might be just a marriage that just will not get better. It might be a rebellious son, a rebellious daughter, a lost job, uh, this financial situation that just never gets better. And I can't help thinking of all the, um, if you look at our prayer warrior and all the sick people that's in our prayer warrior, it seems like it just goes on forever and ever and ever. There's just so many. You know, it's one thing if somebody gets sick and then they recover, but a lot of our people are continuously sick. They are sick every day. It doesn't change. It doesn't get better. And if they have a good day and I'm not sick today, wow, it's a good day. It's pretty sad, isn't it? And so there are all kinds of impossible situations that um, sometimes God leads us into as well. Well, he's led Israel down to, down to the Red Sea. Pharaoh is coming with all of his chariots and all of his horsemen. He's coming to bring Israel back. And now verse 10 of chapter 14, we pick up the story. Here we go. And when Pharaoh do nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and beheld the Egyptians march after them, and they were sore afraid, and the Israel cried unto the Lord, which sounds good, except for, and they said unto Moses, because there are no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we did tell thee in Egypt? Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. <laughs> now I'm laughing, but they weren't laughing, and Moses wasn't laughing, and God wasn't laughing either. They were in trouble, and they had this complaining cry. This complaining cry. Notice verse 15. God, uh, verse, four, uh, verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye see today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. <laughs> so Moses' command and promise they should have listened to. Now verse 15, notice God's command and promise. Verse 15, The Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift thou up the rod, and stretch out thy hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of Pharaoh, harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon his chariots, upon his horsemen." God's command and promise they should have listened to. You and I have lots of commands and promises that we ought to pay attention to. A command and a promise. And really, for every trial that we get into, there's a command and a promise. And God always keeps his promises. We don't always obey the commands. If we'd obey the commands and believe God's promises, we'd be a whole lot better off. A command and a promise. <clears throat> Verse 19. Now, I hope you got this picture. Get this picture in your mind, because Moses is a good writer. And if you'll imagine that this out here is the Red Sea, and this is the shoreline, and so here's two million of the Israelites back here on the shore wondering what's going to happen. 
And Pharaoh is, got in, is kicking up dust way back there, and you can hear the thunder of the chariots and the thunder of the horse hoofs. He's coming, and Israel is stuck, and there's the water. Okay, let's keep reading. And so verse 19, verse 19, The angel of the Lord, which went before the camp of Israel removed and went behind them. Now remember, God is leading them with Moses, of course, but God is leading them with the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now it is nighttime, and so the, the pillar would be fire now because it's nighttime. So the, the pillar of fire is out here at the shore because God has led them to the edge of the water and it's just stopped. That's as far as we can go. So here's this big pillar of fire standing here by the edge of the water, and Israel is here, and Pharaoh is coming, and I can just see some little kid wanting to go up and touch it. <laughs> no, don't touch the thing. <laughs> here's this pillar of fire. Now, so God begins to move. This pillar of fire begins to move, and I guess everybody just kind of moved back and let it go because you, you don't get in the way. And so this pillar of fire begins to move back behind Israel. So the angel of the Lord, went be, which went before the camp, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from, behind, from before their face and stood behind them. So now it's not at the edge of the water anymore. It's behind Israel, between Israel and the Egyptians that are coming. This is an amazing story. And... <clears throat> Verse 20, and it came to pass when the camp of the Egyptians and the camp, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these. Isn't that amazing? So that one came not near the other all the night. So once again, we have the sea, we have all of Israel encamped by the sea, Pharaoh is coming, the pillar of fire moves behind Israel, and God in his amazing power can make light and darkness all at the same time. <laughs> and so, so the pillar of fire is light for Israel, but it is complete darkness for all the Egyptians. Isn't that amazing? And <clears throat> verse 21, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Now remember, the time of day is between 12, because at midnight the Lord passed over in the land of Egypt, so midnight till 6 a.m., so it's probably 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. It's still dark. It's still nighttime. And so the Scripture says that Moses stretched out his hand, like God said, and the Lord caused an east wind, which divided the sea and dried the ground. So, you guys are sitting in the water, <laughs> sitting in the water out here, and the, the sea begins to split open with this east wind and becomes a wall on either side, and the ground becomes dry in the middle. And <clears throat> so Moses stretched out his hand, the waters were divided, verse 22, and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. I hope you have an imagination like mine that you just, can you imagine them stepping off the shore and down into the sea? And we have a wall of water that's bigger than this building. And you can walk 
down through there, and it's dusty. Now, I'm guessing that the pictures that I saw all my life in Sunday school, <laughs> it probably wasn't a very smooth path. I mean, it's in the sea, so it's probably got dips and who knows what rocks in there and bodies. I don't even know what's in there, but... Uh, we're going through the middle of the sea, and you could stick your arm in the one side and pull it back out, and you could see the fish over there in the sea. It's like an aquarium on both sides. And God is holding up the water so Israel can walk through on dry ground. It's an incredible, incredible miracle that God's done. All right? So verse... So God moved, Israel begins to walk, but Pharaoh, he's in the dark. And that's what it says, they couldn't find each other. It was so dark that they couldn't find each other. So God has delayed Pharaoh. Israel has started to move through the sea, and God is holding up the water on both sides so they can get these millions of people through the Red Sea. Now we come to verse 23. And the Egyptians pursued. So at some point in this process, God turns the light on for the Egyptians so they can see which way to go. And so he turns the light, and they start pursuing again, pursuing, Egypt, uh, pursuing the Israelites. Verse 23, And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all the chariots, uh, all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen, and it came to pass in the morning watch. So now it's about 6 o'clock. And the sun is starting to come up. And it came to pass in the morning watch. The Lord looked. At, this is amazing. I hope you look at this. <clears throat> the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. So the Lord is in this pillar of fire and the Lord just pulls back the flames, I guess, and looks through the pillar to see what's going on. It's amazing, amazing verbiage in this story. Now, God didn't have to pull back the flames to see. He knows what's going on. He can see anyway. But God looks to see what they're doing and troubled the host of the Egyptians. He stressed them all out and took off their chariot wheels like little hot wheels in the sea. He just kind of popped the wheels right off. My kids used to do that. Did anybody else's kids do that? I mean, you give them a new toy and they start tearing it apart and pull the wheels off and pull the thing. It's got to be made better. Brand new is not good enough. <clears throat> and so he's, he just pulls the chariot wheels off. They're driving full speed and God just pops the wheels right off in the middle of the, of the sea. God took off their chariot wheels and they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. I wonder why they didn't get that message a few plagues ago. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> so we're in the middle of the sea. Israel is getting through the sea. They're approaching the other side, and some of them are even on the shore. And Pharaoh is coming in to the sea. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So they've gotten clear through the sea now. Pharaoh is all the way in the sea with all of his chariots and all of his horsemen. And by the way, I feel sorry for the horses, don't you? 
the poor horses, they're innocent in all this story, but they had to suffer through this. But anyway, uh, Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength. So this giant walls of water just comes crashing down on the Egyptians in the middle and uh, returned to his strength. And when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, and there remained not so much as one of them, not even Charlton Heston, which was sitting on his horse on the hill. <laughs> Remember that? <clears throat> that part wasn't true. Uh, Pharaoh went in the water too. But anyway, and the children of Israel walked upon dry land walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the host of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which God did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord, believed the Lord, and his servant Moses. What a story. This is the Lord's victory over the Egyptians, for one, but also over Israel's doubt, their unbelief, which was a huge problem. God won the victory that day. Remember when Moses gave his command and promise back in, back in verse 13, he said, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now in verse 31, the people feared the Lord, and the people Israel saw that great work which God did. They saw it. They were right there. Now you talk about a life-changing event. This is incredible. It is an awesome testimony to the power of God that God can do all this stuff and not break a sweat. It's amazing what God did for his people. And God won the victory that day. And God won the victory in a way that only he would get the credit. There's, no, there's nobody else and no other way that this could have been done except God did it. So God on purpose led Israel into an impossible situation so he could get them out. And so he could show himself strong and convince them that he is God and all the little idols of Egypt are not God and there's only one God, and he's it, and there isn't any other. It's not that he's the best one, he's the only one. There's no other God, period. Look back at chapter 14, verse 4, and notice what God said. I will harden the heart, Pharaoh's heart, and he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Verse 17 I behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his hosts, upon his chariots. Verse 18, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So God's going to get vengeance for Israel, but God's going to honor himself through this vengeance, and they're going to know that I am the Lord, and there's no one else. Only God could have done this kind of miracle. This Red, this Red Sea story is, is amazing, and it's incredible, but it's also an illustration of some impos of impossible circumstances, impossible situations, and um, 
But there are lessons that we can learn from this story. So I would ask you this question, what do you do when you come to the Red Sea? What do you do when you get into an impossible situation? There's no help, there's no answers, there's no, there's no, there's no way out of it. What do we do? And from this story, I find several lessons, and so let's get into them. First of all, I find that <clears throat> when we get into these kind of situations, when the health goes bad and the finances are gone and the job is gone and things just happen, and when things just continue to happen and they don't get better, what do we do? So number one, <clears throat> we need to be careful about our emotions. We get into things and things start to happen, our emotions can get the best of us. Look at chapter 14, verse 10, one more time. Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, cried unto the Lord, a complaining cry, and said to Moses, because there's no graves, they're complaining, they're murmuring, is this not the word that we did tell you? We told you this had happened, we're just going to die in the wilderness. And so their emotions got the best of them, their emotions took over, they got angry, they started blaming, they started getting hopeless and depressed and distressed and all of that. You know, emotions are part of, part of us being human, and emotions are part of us that, where, that shows where we're made in the image of God. And emotions are also a motivation for us to act correctly and act biblically. God gave us emotions. They're not an accident. And if someone is emotional, that's not sinful. We're emotional beings. We have a soul. We have mind, emotions, and will. God gave us emotions. And the scripture says, be angry and sin not. And rejoice evermore. And a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, and sorrow maketh the heart better. And, and from either sin or trauma, some people can, the scripture says, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness. While we have feelings of happiness and joy and anger and all these things, it's also possible to not have feelings anymore because of sin or some sort of trauma. And so our emotions are very important, and, and, um, but we have to keep them in check. They have to be kept under control, under God's control, and in that way they do benefit us. So Israel here we should have followed Moses and followed God and trusted God and all that. We could preach them a big old sermon. But for us, <clears throat> when we get into trouble... We need to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It starts in the mind. We start thinking. We start thinking wrong. We start thinking this is hopeless. We start thinking they don't love me anymore. I'm just worthless. I, don't, I can't do this. Uh, and with all these thoughts that the enemy just loves to bombard into our mind, the enemy, the enemy of our soul, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Here's this thought that I can't do this and I'm worthless and they don't, they, they don't want me around and, and all of that. Bring that thought into captivity. Cram it in the cage and make that thought obedient to Christ. We can control our thoughts. We can control our words. We, can't, we don't have to just spout off and say whatever comes to my mind. We don't have to do that. Bring every thought into captivity. The scripture says, be not drunk with wine, where is this excess, but be filled 
or controlled by the Spirit. So, if you're saved tonight, you know for sure you're saved. Jesus lives in your heart. He's washed your sins away. You're on your way to heaven. You're saved, one of God's children. Then the Holy Spirit lives in you. He lives in your heart, and he is there to help you, to comfort you, and to control you. Our job is to yield to him and let him have the control of our heart, our mouth, our emotions. Like Daniel, we can have an excellent spirit in him. An excellent spirit. Daniel had such an excellent spirit, he got the attention of the king. And you and I ought to have that excellent spirit in the workplace, at home, that excellent spirit. Not that we never have a problem, that's not possible. Not that we never get mad, that's not possible. Those things are noticed and brought under control. And that's what God wants us to do. So when you come to the Red Sea, when you get into those impossible circumstances, things go wrong, watch your emotions. Be careful of, of those emotions. Number two is listen to the man of God. Listen to the man of God. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging is all uphill, listen to the man of God. That's why it's so important for us to be in church all the time. It's important for us to be in church. I'm thankful that... I'm thankful that Brother John is, is a good preacher. He is a good preacher. He does a good job. And he studies, and he works hard, and he delivers well. He is a good preacher. But he is more than that. He is a good pastor. And he is like a shepherd to us. And he loves us. And boy, if you don't know that, <laughs> hang around him for a little while. He is a good pastor. But more than that, he is, he is a man of God, and that's important. He is, um, he is a voice to be a preacher. Uh, he's a shepherd, but he is a man of God akin to uh, the prophets of old. We don't have prophets now, that's not the idea, but he is kind of like that, a man of God. It's always amazing to me that preachers in my lifetime, pastors that I've uh, they just seem to know all kinds of stuff. Did you ever notice that? Yeah, they know the Bible, it's true, but they know how to fix your car and work on your house. They just kind of know stuff. That's why it's important for us to be in church and be around the man of God and listen to the man of God. And when you get into trouble and everything is going wrong, you can go sit in his office and glean some wisdom and let him, let him talk to you. Listen to the man of God. Listen to him in the office, but listen to him here at the pulpit. You've got to be here to listen to the man of God. Listen to him out there in the, in the foyer. Listen to the man of God. When Israel listened to Moses, they did well. When they didn't listen to Moses, they got in a lot of trouble every single time. In a couple of places we've read, they did so, and Israel went in in obeying what Moses said to do. And Hebrews tells us, uh, remember them which have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. And our pastor watches for our souls. And we ought to not only remember him and pray for him and love him, but obey them that have the rule over you. Our pastor loves us dearly. Number three, not only listen to the man of God, but also listen to the word of God. All through this, uh, this story and other stories and throughout the, throughout the whole scripture, God is speaking. And it would be wise for us to put a higher value on the Word of God. 
This is the Word of God. It does not just contain the Word of God, it is the Word of God. Other versions may have portions of the Word of God, but this is the Word of God. This is the Word of God that He gave to us, God's love letter to us. It is our manual for life and practice. This is the Word of God. When you read your Bible, it is God speaking to you as if God was standing right in front of you, speaking audibly to you. It is God speaking to you. And this is our manual for the church. It is our manual for home. It is our manual for the workplace. It's our manual for everything, for all of life and practice. The Word of God is our manual, and we ought to listen to it. Flip over right quick to Psalm 138. I want you to see this. In Psalm 138, hold your place there in Exodus, if you would. We'll come back. But it's Psalm 138. <clears throat> 138 verse 2 I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth for thou hast magnified thy word above thy above all thy name I think that God thinks his word is very very important in in Isaiah 42:21 Isaiah 42:21 the Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. God's word is very important. It is already important. It is excellent and perfect in every way. We just need to value it more. Make it more honorable. Make it more prominent in our life. In James 1, 22 through 25, <clears throat> James says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only because we can deceive ourselves into thinking, well, I looked into the mirror, I'm okay. But the purpose of looking into the mirror, the purpose of looking into the mirror is to see what needs to be changed and go ahead and make a change. That's the purpose. So we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only, so it's possible to come to church all your life and leave the same way you came in. We're to be doers of the word, make necessary changes, and not hearers only. Put a higher value on the word of God. So when we get into trouble, when things go wrong, when everything just falls apart and the bottom is gone, listen to the word of God. The Bible has answers. It has help. It has encouragement. It has comfort. It has everything that we need. We're going to find help in the word of God. Again, that's a good reason to be in church. There's another thing, though. We need to learn to walk by faith. That's what I find here in, in this story. Israel took off walking through the dry ground between the walls of water, and they walked by faith. You think they walked by faith? <laughs> they walked by faith. They're trusting this old man <laughs> that up there that Moses said, well, if we walk through this, 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 this wall of water, that we're going to be okay. And they were walk, trusting God that he's going to bring them on through. And I mean, this is a walk of faith. And that's good. It's the right thing. The just shall live by faith, and we walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, we live trusting, believing, and depending on, leaning on the Word of God, leaning on the Lord. You know, when you came in here tonight, you didn't check the pew and make sure it was still here, for one. <laughs> we didn't throw them away. And you didn't check them, make sure they're still good enough, they haven't rotted and fallen apart. You just sit down. And that's a perfect illustration of how you and I must depend 
on the Lord and depend on His Word. We just sit down on it and rest on it. God's track record is perfect in every way. His Word is perfect in every way. His name is, is worth following. There's, there's no reason not to follow Him, not to depend upon Him. He is trustworthy in every way. And Israel learned that. They soon forgot. We'll see that in a minute. But we're to walk by faith. Take steps of faith. Just do the next one right thing. That's it. So when the bottom falls out and you've lost your job and the bank account is just going down and down and down and there's more zeros than numbers, you just take the next one right thing. That's all. Take one step. And watch God work. Take one step. And then you take one more step. And pretty soon you're going to be walking by faith. Trusting God. Trusting His Word. Trusting what the man of God says that comes from the Word of God. Walking by, with God by faith. <clears throat> you know, when it doesn't make sense, that's where faith comes in. And when we're looking through a glass darkly, it's just not very clear. That's when faith comes in. And you know, faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. Number five, <clears throat> rejoice over the victory. When God works and he shows up, he shows, up, he shows himself strong, he, he works it out and makes it better. He makes it right. Rejoice in the victory. Look at chapter 15. You're back in Exodus. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake unto the Lord, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider through in the sea. Anybody else know that song? Yeah, I remember that when I was a kid. And he's got this big, Moses was a songwriter, and he wrote this big old song, How the Lord is my strength, and song has become my salvation. Look at verse um, 20. And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out with her timbrels and dances, and Miriam answered to them, Sing ye unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider through ye in the sea. And have this huge celebration of what God has done. <laughs> and that's right. It's good. We ought to celebrate the victories that God has wrought. That is the right thing to do. Give God the credit. Even if you don't know for sure if God did it or they did it, give God the credit anyway. He deserves the glory. And if it wasn't for him, there would be no good of any kind anyway. We just give God the credit and give him the glory. Rejoice over the victory. Celebrate even the small victories. Man, if you're in a, in a bad situation and things are just wrong and, and backwards in and, and every way, celebrate the little victories. And take those one step, but celebrate those victories. And give God the glory. It may not change your, your circumstances, but it will sure change your attitude. And you know that's one reason that we sing in church? It changes our attitude. It changes our heart. If we sing, we physically open your mouth and make sound come out of your mouth and sing. <laughs> it's different from playing the radio or the earbuds. If we physically sing ourselves, sing songs, it changes your heart. That's why we sing. And that's a whole other sermon. Number six. Repeat. So when you get into these kind of situations, <clears throat> be careful your emotions. Listen to the man of God. Listen to the word of God. Walk by faith. Celebrate the victory and repeat. Notice, <clears throat> flip over to chapter 15. You're at 15. Look at verse 22. Verse 22. 
And so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went out three days into the wilderness and found no water. And they came to the Marah. They could not drink of the water, for the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And here we go. Three days. After this magnificent victory that God's wrought for them, three days later, well, I guess there's no hope for us now. We're just all by ourselves because the water stinks and we can't drink the water now and everything's bad and what are we going to do? Three days. Let's look at one more in chapter 16, verse 1. 16, 1, they took their journey from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, rightly named, which is between Elam and the Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after departing out of the land of Egypt. So three days later, there's problems. Fifteen days later, there's problems, and it continues on from there. Repeat. When you get into trouble, watch your emotions, listen to the man of God, listen to the word of God, celebrate the victories, and just keep doing it over and over and over. Because it's not going to change. It's not going to stop. This isn't heaven yet. It's not over. We're still living under the curse of sin. Things are still going to go wrong. Things are still going to go bad. So what do you do when you come to the Red Sea again? You be careful of your emotions. You listen to the man of God. You listen to the word of God. You walk by faith. Rejoice in the victory. And you do it again and again and again. <clears throat> you know, the difference between, between the saved person and a lost person is... Both saved person has a companion in trouble. Both the saved and the lost will have the same troubles. There's not much difference. Life is hard for both. But the saved has a companion in trouble. He's never, never alone. He might feel it, but he runs back to his father and says, Hold me. And he's comforted and consoled. He has a companion in trouble. He also has comfort from the comforter. When everything goes wrong, there's peace. He has rewards and blessing in this life and hope for a future with no problems in the next. So there's a huge difference. Though we both have the same problems and life is hard for everyone, it rains on the just and the unjust and all that, there's help and hope for the Christian. Because we have a loving Father who is, is not a, a mean beast with a ball bat waiting to club you on the head. That is not our Father. He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He is a shepherd that wants to pull us into his bosom and hold us close. He's a loving Father that cares if we run off or not. And he disciplines us to bring us back into the fold. That's our God. The other Dumb idols are not like that. Our God is a loving, caring shepherd. He is the good shepherd. May I remind you that <clears throat> Jesus walked on water. So water is no big deal for him at all. <laughs> so if he wants to make an aquarium out of it, he can. And he walked on the water on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples, and that's another amazing story. We'll go into another time. <clears throat> Um, so water is no big deal. He's the owner and the master of the sea. 
not just the stiller of the waves. Lord, get me out of this trouble. He owns the whole sea. May I also remind you that Peter walked on the water too. And Jesus gave him the ability to walk on the water above his circumstances. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he went under in circumstances. So pursue the master. Not just the stiller of the waves, but pursue the master. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for his help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?